Hello and welcome to Season 6, Episode 5 of the Scene From Above podcast. I'm Alistair. And I'm Andrew. And we are your hosts for a show that aims to bring you an informal discussion about the cool things happening around the world of Earth observation at the moment. You can reach us via the podcast webpage, seenfromabove.org, where you'll also find the podcast archive and show notes. Follow the show on Twitter via at EOSeenFrom and using the hashtag SceneFromAbove. This episode, we'll be discussing Geospatial 2.0. I think it will be a little bit remiss not to mention SpaceX launching some more Starlink satellites. I think it was yesterday, wasn't it? Yeah, last night. Last night our time, but maybe this morning in the US. Um, some beautiful pictures and um, again, SpaceX video <laughs> of rockets landing. Um, yeah, you're kind of like, you know, bored of that now. <laughs> <laughs> I don't really mean that. Um, we need Mars. Come on, people. <laughs> they're now the biggest fleet of satellites now, placing planet. So postulating this as the communications revolution here, because this is what it's all about. From what I've seen on Twitter, this is dividing people, more or less mm. 50-50. A lot of people think it's really cool that SpaceX has been putting these up and has the ability to put them up. And then a, a sort of another 50% thinking it's just more space junk. I mean, I heard on the radio over Christmas, there was a, a big discussion on Radio oh, 4 okay. talking about this exact problem. And there was talk about them reducing the brightness of their solar arrays or put, putting oh, okay. a different paint on or something like that. I'm a bit hazy on that. Okay, so let's show you the news on the 6th of January, 2020. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. It's the 8th. You're two days behind. It's the 8th. Oh yeah. my goodness. No, let's re- let me re-record that. So let's do the news on the 8th of January 2020. I nearly said July then. What's going on in my brain? I've been a bit overwhelmed with news. I often worry if we, if we miss news uh, before we start our news discussion. But if anybody wants to tweet us at EOSeenFrom or use the hashtag SeenFromAbove and enlighten us on things that we're missing, especially resources for news, um, I still think Twitter seems to be the best place to go for general news on Earth observation. I sort of think to myself, where better to start than the Sentinel Hub in 2020? Goodness, they just keep blowing me away with what, what they're doing. And there's two Medium posts that they've that they've published already in January, so you know, eight days in. The one that I was really interested in and really sort of taken with was the one on large scale data preparation, introducing batch processing. Okay, you're going to have to introduce this to me because uh, and explain it to me. What are they trying to do here? Well, it's this whole idea of the, the Sentinel Hub API. Basically, it's this idea of processing time. And they, they've got this example of processing a cloud-free mosaic of Australia from August to October 2019 using huge volumes of data, 30 terabytes of data processing. Okay. Um, and they're using this new batch processing te- technique that they've got they they've managed to do all that data processing into a cloud cloudless mosaic in 15 minutes so yeah quite astonishing really isn't it it kind of builds on to, to the next thing which is which is their also published on the same day their lang cover monitoring system and they, if you scroll all the way down for this article they've sort of chunked uh, turkey into 9,000 patches of 10 by 10 square kilometers, you know, it's this processing of, of data, this 
this huge volumes of data that we've been talking about. Okay, so I want to change focus a little bit. It's something I came across uh, at the end of December, and it's a, a hub called We Robotics. And within that, you get different flying labs. And the, the way I came across it is I've started following um, a couple of flying labs on Twitter that are based in Africa. So I think I follow the Senegalese and the Kenyan ones. It's backed by a series of donors and partners and some you know, really big, big names there. In terms of drones, you've got companies like Parrot and Sensefly and Drone Deploy, but you've also got big data handlers like uh, Esri is in there. The Australian government is also backing them as well. I just thought this is worth highlighting. We do naturally focus onto satellite-based stuff because that's sort of what we, where we've come from. But um, I do like to to mention some of the the drone-based things now and again. Yeah, cool. I'm really, I, I'm always really pleased that you mentioned drones. They slipped me by, I think. I wanted to um, resurrect my idea of blog of the month. Hey. And um, why not? It's 2020. Um, if, I, if I say 2020 enough, then maybe I'll get used to writing it. Then uh, I'll be <laughs> fine. Christoph Rieker, thank you for posting a tutorial on UAV, uh, land cover classification with FastAI and Google Colab. I've spoken about FastAI before. It seems to me to be one of the deep learning libraries that, that gains most traction and is easiest to use. He's got a nice Google collaboratory link. And I'm just so impressed by, the, by this blog and, and it rightly got really well received on Twitter. I, I love the fact that the access to deep learning is getting easier and easier and that some of the tools that we've been talking about for the past two years are becoming more common in their usage and, and that new tools like fast AI are coming through as well. Yeah, the direction of travel is, is to make it simpler. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I guess someone behind the scenes is doing some really complex maths, but from, from a user perspective, I think it's becoming more and more intuitive. Okay, so I've got a bit of a UK-centric news item now, but it might be of interest to some of our listeners or anyone who, who's thinking of getting additional training. The Satellite Data and Environmental Science Programme has managed to get funded a Centre for Doctoral Training, which is split between University of Edinburgh and the University of Leeds. And basically, this is to try and get a whole raft of PhD students that will be fully funded with a stipend and will have residential training, fieldwork funds, all fees covered for three years. These PhD students will be looking in uh, looking at environmental science uh, using data science and earth observation. And so if you are interested in this and you have uh, an environmental science, maths, physics, engineering, computer science background, then check out the link that we put in the show notes because, I mean, the projects are starting to come online now. I want to mention a few things just sort of towards the end of the news. Firstly, Stack's been updated. We're now at version 0.9.0, so we're not at Chris Holmes's v1 he hasn't got his billion <laughs> <laughs> records yet I, I assume this is what i mean when i said when i said earlier about keeping keeping up to date the pace of things changing it only feels like yesterday that 0.8 was was being spoken about so i haven't even delved into what's changed in in this release if, if i'm honest 
I also wanted to mention that Astria launching this Earth AI notebook. We talked about this being a trend about two years ago, didn't we? We were sort of saying, you know, we've got to get on board with this. Every company now is delivering their code in Jupyter Notebooks. So these are sort of little little sort of snippets of news that come across. The last thing I wanted to mention, and I'm not going to mention any specifics in this, is obviously the fires in Australia and the fairly horrific scenes that we've seen coming out of that. There have been immense amounts of satellite imagery being shared, particularly on Twitter, but also on LinkedIn and other social media as well. And it's been really interesting seeing the discussion. And some of these images are really, really useful. Just linked to that, I put out a tweet where I was asking whether or not anyone knew about whether the imagery was being used on the ground by planners, probably not by firefighters, but by people who are trying to maybe move firefighting units around and that sort of thing. And we had a a really interesting discussion uh, on Twitter around that. If you're a listener and you you do use Earth Observation operationally, so not on a sort of retrospective, project-based, looking back type of thing, but if you're an actual practitioner, boots on the ground type of person who needs to go out, do you use Earth Observation? Is that coming in as a data feed into your sphere of information that you need to handle? I suppose... Really, what I've been interested in with these fires is is just the spread has been so quick, and yet we're we've got daily data, we've got drone data, aerial data that you can get out and, and collect. Has the spread been too quick to really make use of any of these data sets, or is there a real tangible, strong benefit to the firefighters and the uh, organisations that support the firefighters and and work up the policies and everything else to use these data sets in real time. The news reports have just, I don't know, just, I can't even imagine it. It's just awful. I would say that there's been a lot of stuff on Twitter about it. And one of the guys that is well worth following, Joshua Stevens, JS Carto is his tag. The scale of this catastrophic event is only really through Earth observation that, that it can be communicated. I can't think of another way. So, unless you've got anything else, I think that's it for the news. So this time we're really lucky to have Josh and Gopal to discuss this idea of geospatial analytics 2.0 and they're joining us from california and were you josh in the uk somewhere yeah i'm currently in oxfordshire oxfordshire okay so guys do you want to just uh introduce yourself to the listeners and then we'll sort of crack on into it talking about analytics and that sort of area of this geospatial 2.0 yeah so i'm josh gilbert um my background is originally in kind of development economics where I did my master's degree ended up in clean tech consulting kind of looking at emerging technologies uh, about four years ago and kind of from the start really diving into the potential of geospatial analytics I think um, it's a double-edged sword but coming at it not as an industry professional and as somebody who is looking at you know emerging technology sets that could impact on the large corporate clients that we're working with kind of gives you a different perspective where you know even even in the writing that we do a lot of the time I won't understand half of the technical stuff uh, you know in terms of the imagery and the resolution and those kind of areas but understanding the big picture of um, how this kind of technology can come to market and how it can solve kind of customer-centric solutions um, 
So through my consulting work, I worked with some of the big um, Silicon Valley based geospatial companies who had raised a lot of money and were looking to work out their strategic go to market and their marketing and how they wanted to position these new products. Since then, I have left my consulting role and I've started up Sust Global, which is a geospatial analytics company that is looking at climate related risks for a range of industries. I'll let Gopal give his intro, but as, as a reference, how we how we met and we started writing and thinking together. I think it was a couple of years ago and now we spoke on a panel in San Francisco together on um, data abundance or space enabled data abundance, or there was some kind of uh, topic like that on the panel and then after that you know we went we had a had a drink afterwards and kind of realized we had a lot of similar ideas and one thing led to another and we started writing together and developed this thesis around what we have described as geospatial 2.0. Andrew Alistair thanks so much for having me on uh, this uh, podcast along with Josh so uh, my background is in engineering leadership and working primarily in the technical domain of signal processing and machine learning so most recently I've been developing products uh, using innovative technologies in the machine learning and imaging space. And I've been focused on customer-centric agile en engineering execution, uh, transforming foundational technologies, which are more from the R&D perspective, into scalable, high-quality products. I got excited about geospatial data uh, around five, three, to, three to five years ago when I started looking at the larger collections of publicly available imagery from Landsat, Sentinel, and the MODIS archives for interesting forms of pattern of life and agricultural analytics. I've been at Planet close to three years now, and I uh, head up the analytics engineering function. So a little bit about Planet. Uh, Planet's the leading provider of global near daily satellite imagery. Planet designs, uh, builds and operates the largest uh, constellation of satellites in orbit. Uh, as well as the online software tools and analytics needed to deliver that data. So I head up the engineering function focused on our insights efforts that is going from the raw imagery and the mosaic base maps to more refined information signals. Uh, my team brings together data science, data engineering, and uh, production scalable machine learning. And just out of interest, how big is that team? The team that I manage is around 20 engineers and okay, uh, okay. spread across these different domains. So my focus has been more on the analytics efforts, which is looking at the large collection of pixels that we're seeing and looking at our historic archive uh, and understanding patterns uh, within, uh, within that imagery and using the state of the art in machine learning, computer vision, and statistical learning towards creating scalable information products. So that's really interesting, isn't it? I mean, you've both come from non-geospatial backgrounds. And you're both being driven into this industry that, that, that you know, myself and Alistair have been in for sort of 20 years or so, primarily driven by analytics. So I know it sounds quite crude, but what, what, how do you define analytics? Are we just talking about counting boats and cars or is there something deeper here that more people need to get involved in? To, to get to understanding uh, analytics, it helps to look at the human centric form of it, which is analysis. And when you look at imagery analysis, it's looking at the the imagery and looking at the patterns within the imagery uh, over space and time so that's broadly how i would say the human centric analysis would work so that covers a broad realm of activities so it could be as simple as like counting objects detecting objects so it starts with being able to identify and understand more deeply based on the capability of the sensor what is 
visible and discernible within an imagery uh, catalog, and then having the ability towards uh, towards tagging locations and then coming up with aggregations of it. So all that forms the larger collection of refined signals you can produce from a raw set of pixels. There's definitely the opportunity to use multiple data sources. And uh, that's one of the frontiers that we even outlined in the article, which is the uh, sense of fusion problem. And bringing those different data sources together, allowing them to play with each other, making it analysis ready, is another piece of like the larger puzzle of analytics. But from the human-centric form, you're looking at different data sources, but you're trying to get it to a refined signal that is less about imagery and more about a vertical-specific problem. To me, it's very different talking about what geospatial analytics is compared to satellite imagery. And I think it's a, in many ways, it's been a red herring where in a lot of the use cases and a lot of the verticals, it's kind of positioned, certainly by Silicon Valley as a, as a whole, there is kind of this um, need to sell this kind of idea. And a lot of it is, you know, raising a lot of capital to do these big frontier um, kind of technological breakthroughs. But, you know, coming back to the thesis that we put together is kind of the technology push versus the market pull. And I think that the market generally thinks, yeah, satellite imagery is cool, but what they really want is results kind of that impact their business at a ground zero level, um, where sometimes the focus on imagery can move away from kind of the sweet spot in terms of giving businesses what they want. I'd agree with that. I think in the last six months, I've heard more and more chatter about the fact that we shouldn't be delivering maps anymore. We should be delivering some form of information and that could just be an Excel table or whatever. And going with what Josh just mentioned, you know, like if you think about the, the technology push, it's more in the sensor realm. It's tied to like these different, uh, different collections of sensor modalities that are producing very interesting data sets. But the, the market pulls more in terms of signal. What is interesting to the market about a specific sector, about a specific uh, kind of uh, realm of human endeavor. Yeah. So how do you guys feel about the sort of business side of this? If analytics, geospatial analytics are on the cusp of this thing and it's such a big industry, why haven't companies that are doing analytics and geospatial analytics been bought up? You know, firstly, on the idea of uh, those companies getting involved and, and buying out, I know that maybe there haven't been the exits yet. Um, that's a bit uh, premature, but there's been a lot of you know, strategic investment from kind of corporate VCs in a lot of the big kind of 10, 20 mil plus um, venture rounds. But the idea is that one platform can then meet the needs of 10 verticals. And the problem is, is if you raise 30, 40, $50 million plus in VC funding, you also have a really unwieldy cap table where you have the interests of five to 10 different sets of strategic investors who say, what about this market where some of our customers are? What about this yeah. market where some of our customers are? My take is that that's part of what Geospatial 2.0 is, that it's moving away from this kind of overly romantic version of what Geospatial can be, uh, kind of saying, oh, it's going to be the magic bullet in all of these 30 different industries, and we're going to create these machine learning algorithms to solve all of your problems at once. Um, and actually, you know, the second iteration is using these incredible technological breakthroughs, but focusing on those first five to 10 customers in one core vertical who really, really, really want what you're selling and can't do without it. And then moving to adjacent verticals. Uh, the sell once and then the law of diminishing returns for, uh, downstream uh, is indicative of like uh, operations where information asymmetry 
is central to their success and function. The traditional GIS user, and you know, I'm sort of saying from a, from a, my own perspective in a way, is a very much a point and click kind of person, limited to the desktop and has spent, well, I'm almost describing myself here, spent 20 years happily doing one image, two images if I'm lucky. I've, I've just come around to the last 10 years of open data and now I love the term that you used earlier, this, this abundance of space data. And you guys are sort of talking in, in 2.0 terms. Is the barrier me? Is the barrier someone who, who's saying, oh, I can, I can do that on the desktop. I can, you know, click and draw this. Or, you know, I've been doing this for 20 years. I'm, I'm, the, I'm a GIS professional. You, you, don't, you don't need this. Is this... The, the barrier is specifically you, Andrew. <laughs> yeah, do you mean, is, is this a question about you specifically, Andrew, or the GIS <laughs> Do you sort of get the sense of what I'm saying? Is there's, a lot of, there's a lot of me that have come out of university yeah. for the last 20 years. And have... What everybody talks about, and the reason why there's been this um, venture funding going in, is that we need to cross over to these new markets and kind of create new value. And I think that, you know, GIS is integral to where we've come, but also to where we have to go. You know, you look at the big contracts that, you know, the, the Silicon Valley startups that are promising to go to lots of different markets, their primary customers have still been uh, defense and government, where there are a lot of point and click GIS experts in house, you know, there might be 10, 20 analysts who are really familiar with using that kind of technology. And it's, a, I guess it's a bit of a perversion of, of the kind of typical startup model, which is, you know, kind of finding these Early, early adopters who you know haven't used this stuff before but actually the early adopters of a lot of these new technologies have been GIS users and people in these big organizations that know how to use the data these skills will never um, become redundant because they're crucial to understanding this data but actually it's the consumption patterns that need to change where actually yes. the QGIS users no longer are the end customers they're actually facilitators in delivering this product to the end customers which are these huge verticals that have no idea about satellite imagery or spatial data or gis yeah so is the is the traction there do you think because you've got this you've got this um inverted pyramid which is almost the value pyramid of developer analyst and executive so maybe this diagram that you've got this inverted pyramid is actually a, a sort of value kind of chain turning the sort of the world upside down as it were so we've got the analytics market at the top which isn't a low-hanging fruit and we've got the pixel market at the bottom which potentially is the low-hanging fruit. Our thesis has been as the landscape matures to geospatial 2.0 you're going to see the right kind of capabilities that are built out through APIs through scalable compute which is driven by like the innovations in machine learning uh, that capture the knowledge of analysts and then can serve like a broader collection of people. There's definitely a mix of, uh, of communities here. So uh, in the past, you know, when we, when, when I, last year when I looked very closely at analysis-ready data and we had a whole workshop around this, I kind of framed it as it's like analysis-ready data and that's using geospatial data. It's a tale of at least two communities. There's a community of remote sensing and GIS folks who are very much in the realm of like looking at imagery and the analysis analysis folks here and then there are the machine learning folks who and and the, the software engineering folks and the data scientist folks who are looking at it more as like raw data and trying to do interesting pattern matching on, on that and then how do you elevate the skills in the gis community and and transition them into that world and yeah. these early indicators of that 
the Pangeo effort, which is uh, which is uh, open sourced and primarily driven by remote sensing and GIS professionals, is getting into that world. It's fully online. It's fully automated. It's on cloud. Can I can I ask a quick question about your thoughts on tooling for Geospatial 2.0? You have things like Stack, which are very much more a building block, but a very central building block as these capabilities and data sets grow in the future. So I'm seeing like the, I would, I would look at the marketplaces and the diases that we have outlined in, uh, in our article as like one incarnation of a few Lego blocks being put together towards okay. making the tooling possible. And in, in, in the coming months, coming years, we're going to see different incarnations of that. Stack would likely be a central component. Analysis, query data, and data interoperability would be another component. Having scalable cloud-based atmospheric and geometric correction is another component. And these all blend together along with the compute capability powered by uh, uh, computer vision and statistical learning. That's another component. They come together towards creating uh, that richer capability. Okay, cool. And Josh, do you think there'll be business tools that will interface in with that as well? Yeah, I the comment I was going to make on top of that is what you what you're calling business tools. I was going to say kind of the last mile delivery tools. There there will be this kind of fundamental foundation of um, you know, technical geospatial tools. But actually, I think you know it's one of the things that we're experimenting experimenting with and developing at Sust with our MVP is kind of looking at these whether it's a web API, whether it's a da- direct download via CSV of um, you know, of, of locational data or spatiotemporal data with different uh, different characteristics and metrics kind of overlaid with it. But there needs to be this delivery mode um, for businesses where they can understand this data. So I think that, you know, it, it's a regular, regular shaped pyramid this time, which is kind of, you know, you need this foundational stuff and then there needs to be some way of getting it into the hands of people that have no idea about you know, stack and and all of these geospatial tools, and they say just solve my problem. I don't I don't care what you do, but I still think the fundamental issue that we haven't had solved is this kind of, you know, VC funding keeps companies alive uh, and it gives them you know puts their burn rate out for another six twelve months, but actually providing these products that consumers really really want and can't do without is kind of the thing that we're starting to see now, where instead of these big kind of data aggregators and collators or collectors. I don't think that we're going to have that many more newcomers in those areas, uh, at least in traditional data sets. I think, you know, SAR and um, different hyperspectral and some of the, uh, you know, GHGs uh, kind of based emission detecting satellites will continue to be launched. But really the emergence of these niche last mile delivery services, I think we're going to have a big exponential boom in these kind of areas. You know, there are so many geospatial companies saying, look, we've got this data, look, we've got this data, and the market just needs to work out how to use it, how to engage with it. And I think that we started to see that and we'll continue to see that going into the 2020s. Uh, It's hard to predict like a a breakthrough, but I do see like a lot of domain expertise blending in with geospatial data. We're also seeing some very interesting work in research labs across uh, the world, uh, in particular in Europe, funded by the Copernicus and the ESA missions. Awesome. Well, Josh Gopal, thank you so much for your time. It's yes, incredibly refreshing to talk to you guys, especially considering you know your backgrounds 
coming in from external to geospatial and uh, GIS. Thank you so much. If you have any requests for new segments, topics for us to discuss, or guests you'd like to hear from, then we really do encourage you to drop us a line through Twitter using at EOSeenFrom or our personal accounts at AJGJogger and at Map underscore Andrew. Please do get in touch and help us build a vibrant community around the podcast. Thanks for listening, and that's it for now. Thanks, Andrew. Thanks, Alistair. Bye. Bye. You're number one on our list. Podcast music is Cracker Jacks and Tin Whistles by Ocean Heights and is licensed under the Attribution Non-Commercial Creative Commons license. Available on freemusicarchive.org.